Section 45 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the worst paid scavengers, or those working for scurf employers. Note, the Saxon scurfa, which is the original of the English scurf, means a scab, and scab is the term given to the cheap men in the shoemaking trade. Scab is the root of our word shabby, hence scurf and scab, deprived of their offensive associations, both mean shabby fellows. End note. There are in the scavengers trade the same distinct classes of employers as appertain to all other trades. These consist of 1. The large capitalists, 2. The small capitalists. As a rule, with some few honourable and dishonourable exceptions, it is true, I find that the large capitalists in the several trades are generally the employers who pay the higher wages, and the small men those who pay the lower. The reasons for this conduct are almost obvious. The power of the capital of the large master must be contended against by the small one, and the usual mode of contention in all trades is by reducing the wages of the working men. The wealthy master has, of course, many advantages over the poor one. One, he can pay ready money and obtain discounts for immediate payment. Two, he can buy in large quantities and so get his stock cheaper. Three, he can purchase what he wants in the best markets and that directly off the producer without the intervention and profit of the middleman. Four, he can buy at the best times and seasons and lay in what he requires for the purposes of his trade long before it is needed, provided he can obtain it a bargain. 5. He can avail himself of the best tools and mechanical contrivances for increasing the productiveness, or economising the labour, of his workmen. 6. He can build and arrange his places of work upon the most approved plan and in the best situations for the manufacture and distribution of the commodities. 7. He can employ the highest talent for the management or design of the work on which he is engaged. 8. He can institute a more effective system for the surveillance and checking of his workmen. 9. He can employ a large number of hands and so reduce the secondary expenses of firing, lighting and so on, attendant upon the work as well as the number of superintendents and others engaged to look after the operatives. 10. He can resort to extensive means of making his trade known. 11. He can sell cheaper, even if his cost of production be the same, from employing a larger capital and being able to do with a less rate of profit. 12. He can afford to give credit and so obtain customers that he might otherwise lose. The small capitalist, therefore, enters the field of competition by no means equally matched against his more wealthy rival. What the little master wants in substance, however, he generally endeavours to make up in cunning. If he cannot buy his materials as cheap as a trader of larger means, he uses an inferior or cheaper article, and seeks by some trick or other to palm it off as equal to the superior and dearer kind. If the tools and appliances of the trade are expensive, he either transfers the cost of providing them to the workmen, or else he charges them a rent for their use. And so with the places of work, he mulks their wages of a certain sum per week for the gas by which they labour, or he makes them do their work at home, 
and thus saves the expense of a workshop. And lastly, he pays his men either a less sum than usual for the same quantity of labour, or exacts a greater quantity from them for the same sum of money. By one or other of these means does the man of limited capital seek to counterbalance the advantages which his more wealthy rival obtains by the possession of extensive resources. The large employer is enabled to work cheaper by the sheer force of his larger capital. He reduces the cost of production, not by employing a cheaper labour, but by economising the labour that he does employ. The small employer, on the other hand, seeks to keep pace with his larger rival, and strives to work cheap, not by the economy of labour, for this is hardly possible in the small way of production, but by reducing the wages of his labourers. Hence the rule, in almost every trade, is that the smaller capitalists pay a lower rate of wages. To this, however, there are many honourable exceptions among the small masters, and many as dishonourable among the larger ones in different trades. Messrs. Moses, Nicol and Hyams, for instance, are men who certainly cannot plead deficiency of means as an excuse for reducing the ordinary rate of wages among the tailors. Those employers who seek to reduce the prices of a trade are known technologically as cutting employers, in contradistinction to the standard employers or those who pay their workpeople and sell their goods at the ordinary rates. Of cutting employers there are several kinds, differently designated according to the different means by which they gain their ends. These are 1. Drivers, or those who compel the men in their employ to do more work for the same wages. Of this kind there are two distinct varieties. a. The long-hour masters, or those who make the men work longer than the usual hours of labour. b. The strapping masters, or those who make the men, by extra supervision, strap to their work so as to do a greater quantity of labour in the usual time. 2. Grinders, or those who compel the workmen, through their necessities, to do the same amount of work for less than the ordinary wages. The reduction of wages thus brought about may or may not be attended with a corresponding reduction in the price of the goods to the public. If the price of the goods be reduced in proportion to the reduction of wages, the consumer, of course, is benefited at the expense of the producer. When it is not followed by a like diminution in the selling price of the article and the wages of which the men are mulked, go to increase the profits of the capitalist, the employer alone is benefited and is then known as a grasper. Some cutting tradesmen, however, endeavour to undersell their more wealthy rivals by reducing the ordinary rate of profit and extending their business on the principle of small profits and quick returns, the nimble ninepence being considered better than the slow shilling. Such traders, of course, cannot be said to reduce wages directly. Indirectly, however, they have the same effect, for in reducing prices, other traders, ever ready to compete with them, but unwilling or perhaps unable to accept less than the ordinary rate of profit, seek to attain the same cheapness, by diminishing the cost of production, and for this end the labourer's wages are almost invariably reduced. Such are the characteristics of the cheap employers in all trades. Let me now proceed to point out the peculiarities of what are called the scurf employers in the scavenging trade. The insidious practices of capitalists in other callings in reducing the hire of labour 
are not unknown to the scavagers. The evils of which these workmen have to complain under scurf or slop masters are 1. Driving, or being compelled to do more work for the same pay. 2. Grinding, or being compelled to do the same or a greater amount of work for less pay. 1. Under the first head, if the employment be at all regular, I heard few complaints, for the men seem to have learned to look upon it as an inevitable thing, that one way or other they must submit, by the receipt of a reduced wage or the exercise of a greater toil, to a deterioration in their means. The system of driving, or in other words, the means by which extra work is got out of the men for the same remuneration, in the scavenger's trade is as follows. Some employers cause their scavengers, after their day's work in the streets, to load the barges with the street and house collected manure without any additional payment, whereas among the more liberal employers there are bargemen who are employed to attend to this department of the trade, and if their street scavengers are so employed, which is not very often, it is computed as extra work, or over hours, and paid for accordingly. This same indirect mode of reducing wages by getting more work done for the same pay is seen in many piecework callings. The slop boot and shoemakers pay the same price as they did six or seven years ago, but they have knocked off the extras, as the additional allowance for greater than the ordinary height of heel and the like. So the slop mayor of Manchester, Sir Elkanah Armitage, within the last year or two, sought to obtain from his men a greater length of cut to each piece of woven for the same wages. Some master scavengers or contractors, moreover, reduce wages by making their men do what is considered the work of a man and a half in a week, without the recompense due for the labour of the half-man's work. In other words, they require the men to condense eight or nine days' labour into six, and to be paid for the six days only. This again is usual in the strapping shops of the carpenter's trade. Thus the class of street sweepers do not differ materially in the circumstances of their position from other bodies of workers skilled and unskilled. Let me, however, give a practical illustration of the loss accruing to the working scavengers by the driving method of reducing wages. A is a large contractor and a driver. He employs 16 men and pays them the regular wages of the honourable trade. But instead of limiting the hours of labour to 12, as is usual among the better class of employers, he compels each of his men to work at the least 16 hours per diem, which is one-third more, and for which the men should receive one-third more wages. Let us see, therefore, how much the men in his employ lose annually by these means. Four gangers at 18 shillings a week for nine months in the year, some received per annum £140 8 shillings, some they should receive £210 12 shillings, difference £70 4 shillings. Twelve sweepers at 16 shillings a week for nine months in the year, some received per annum £374 8 shillings, some they should receive £499 4 shillings. Difference, £124.16. shillings. Total wages per annum. Some received £514.16. shillings. Some they should receive £709.16. shillings. Difference, £195. Pounds. 
Here then we find the annual loss to these men through the system of driving to be £195 per annum. But A is not the only driver in the scavenger's trade. Out of the 19 masters having contracts for scavenging as cited in the table given at pages 213 and 214, there are four who are regular drivers. And making the same calculation as above, we have the following results. 26 gangers at 18 shillings a week for nine months in the year, some received per annum, £912.12 shillings. Some they should receive £1,216.16 shillings. Difference £304.04 shillings. 80 sweepers at 16 shillings a week for nine months in the year. Some received per annum £2,496. Some they should receive £3,328. Difference £832. Total sum received per annum, £3,308.12. shillings. Some they should receive, £4,544.16. shillings. Difference, £1,136.04. shillings. Thus we find that the gross sum of which the man employed by these drivers are deprived is no less than £1,136 per annum. 2. The second, or indirect, mode of reducing the wages of the men in the scavenging trade is by grinding, that is to say, by making the men do the same amount of work for less pay. It requires nothing but a practical illustration to render the injury of this particular mode of reduction apparent to the public. B is a master scavenger, a small contractor, though the instances are not confined to this class, and a grinder. He pays a shilling a week less than the regular wages of the honourable trade. He employs six men. Hence the amount that the workmen in his pay are mulked off every year is as follows. Six men at 15 shillings a week for nine months in the year. Some received per annum £175.10. shillings. Some they should receive £187.04. shillings. Difference £11.14. shillings. Here, the loss to the men is £11.14 shillings per annum, and there is but one such grinder among the 19 master scavengers who have contracts at present. 3. The third and last method of reducing the earnings of the men as above enumerated is by a combination of both the systems before explained, namely by grinding and driving united. That is to say, by not only paying the men a smaller wage than the more honourable masters, but by compelling them to work longer hours as well. Let me cite another illustration from the trade. C is a large contractor and both a grinder and driver. He employs 28 men and not only pays them less wages, but makes them work longer hours than the better class of employers. The men in his pay, therefore, are annually mulked of the following sums. Sums the men receive. Seven gangers at 16 shillings a week for nine months in the year, 218 pounds eight shillings. 21 sweepers at 15 shillings a week, 614 pounds five shillings. Total 832 pounds 13 shillings. Sums they should receive. Seven gangers at 18 shillings a week for nine months in the year, 245 pounds 14 shillings overwork four hours per day 
61 pounds 8 shillings and sixpence. 21 sweepers at 16 shillings a week, 12 hours a day, 655 pounds 4 shillings. Overwork, 4 hours a day, 163 pounds 6 shillings. Total, 1,125 pounds 12 shillings and sixpence. Here, the annual loss to the men employed by this one master is £292.19 shillings and sixpence. Among the 19 master scavengers, there are altogether seven employers who are both grinders and drivers. These employ among them no less than 111 hands, hence the gross amount of which their workmen are yearly defraud. No, let me adhere to the principles of political economy and say deprived, is as under. Some the men annually receive. 28 gangers at 16 shillings a week, employed for nine months in the year, £873.12. 83 sweepers at 15 shillings a week, employed for nine months in the year, £2,427.15. Total, £3,301.7. Some they should annually receive. 28 gangers at 18 shillings a week, 12 hours a day for 9 months in the year, £982.16. shillings. Overwork, 4 hours per day, £245.14. shillings. 83 sweepers at 16 shillings a week, 12 hours a day, £2,589.12. shillings. Overwork, 4 hours per day, £647.08. shillings. Total, £4,465.10. Here we perceive the gross loss to the operatives from the system of combined grinding and driving to be no less than £1,164.3 per annum. Now let us see what is the aggregate loss to the working men from the several modes of reducing their wages as above detailed. Loss to the working scavengers by the driving of employers one thousand one hundred and thirty six pounds four shillings. Ditto by the grinding eleven pounds fourteen shillings. Ditto by the grinding and driving of employers one thousand one hundred and sixty four pounds three shillings. Total loss to the working scavengers per annum two thousand three hundred and twelve pounds one shilling. Now this is a large sum of money to be wrested annually out of the workmen. That it is so rested is demonstrated by the fact cited at page 174, in connection with the dust trade. The wages of the dustmen employed by the large contractors, it is there stated, have been increased within the last seven years from sixpence to eightpence per load. This increase in the rate of remuneration was owing to complaints made by the men to the commissioners of sewers that they were not able to live on their earnings. An inquiry took place, and the result was that the commissioners decided upon letting the contracts only to such parties as would undertake to pay a fair price to their workmen. The contractors accordingly increased the remuneration of the labourers as mentioned. Now, political economy would tell us that the commissioners interfered with wages in a most reprehensible manner, preventing the natural operation of the law of supply and demand. But both justice and benevolence assure us that the commissioners did perfectly right. The masters in the dust trade were forced to make good to the men what they had previously taken from them, 
and the same should be done in the scavenging trade. The contracts should be let only to those masters who will undertake to pay the regular rate of wages and employ their men only the regular hours. For by such means, and by such means alone, can justice be done to the operatives. This brings me to the cause of the reduction of wages in the scavenging trade. The scurf trade, I am informed, has been carried on among the master scavengers upwards of twenty years, and arose partly from the contractors having to pay the parishes for the house dust and street sweepings, breeze and street manure, at that period, often selling for thirty shillings the children or load. The demand for this kind of manure twenty years ago was so great that there was a competition carried on among the contractors themselves, each outbidding the other, so as to obtain the right of collecting it and in order not to lose anything by the large sums which they were induced to bid for the contracts, the employers began gradually to grind down their men from seventeen shillings sixpence, the sum paid twenty years back, to seventeen shillings a week, and eventually to fifteen shillings and even twelve shillings weekly. This is a curious and instructive fact, as showing that even an increase of prices will, under the contract system, induce a reduction of wages. The greed of traders becomes, it appears, from the very height of the prices, proportionally intensified, and from the desire of each to reap the benefit, they are led to outbid one another to such an extent, and to offer such large premiums for the light of appropriation, as to necessitate a reduction of every possible expense in order to make any profit at all upon the transaction. Owing, moreover, to the surplus labour in the trade, the contractors were enabled to offer any premiums and reduce wages as they pleased. For the casually employed men, when the wet season was over and their services no longer required, were continually calling upon the contractors and offering their services at two shillings and three shillings less per week than the regular hands were receiving. The consequence was that five or six of the master scavengers began to reduce the wages of their labourers and since that time the number has been gradually increasing, until now there are no less than twenty-one scurf masters, eight of whom have no contracts, out of the thirty-four contractors, so that nearly three-fifths of the entire trade belong to the grinding class. Within the last seven or eight years, however, there has been an increase of wages in connection with the city operative scavengers. This was owing mainly to the operatives complaining to the commissioners that they could not live upon the wages they were then receiving, 12 shillings and 14 shillings a week. The circumstances inducing the change, I am informed, were as follows. One of the gangers asked a tradesman in the city to give the street sweepers something for beer, whereupon the tradesman inquired if the men could not find beer out of their wages, and on being assured that they were receiving only 12 shillings a week, he had the matter brought before the board. The result was that the wages of the operatives were increased from 12 shillings to 15 shillings and 16 shillings weekly, since which time there has been neither an increase nor a decrease in their pay. The cheapness of provisions seem to have caused no reduction with them. Now there are but two efficient causes to account for the reduction of wages among the scurf employers in the scavengers trade. One, the employers may diminish the pay of their men from a disposition to grind out of them an inordinate rate of profit. 2. The price paid for the work may be so reduced that, consistent with the ordinary rate of profit on capital and remuneration for superintendence, 
greater wages cannot be paid. If the first be the fact, then the employers are to blame, and the parishes should follow the example of the commissioners of sewers, and let the work to those contractors only who will undertake to pay the regular wages of the honourable trade. But if the latter be the case, as I strongly suspect it is, though some of the masters seem to be more grasping than the rest, but in the paucity of returns on this matter, it is difficult to state positively whether the price paid for the labour of the working scavenger is in all the parishes proportional to the price paid to the employers for the work, a most important fact to be solved. If, however, I repeat, the decrease of the wages be mainly due to the decrease in the sums given for the performance of the contract, then the parishes are to blame for seeking to get their work done at the expense of the working men. The contract system of work, I find, necessarily tends to this diminution of the men's earnings in a trade. Offer a certain quantity of work to the lowest bidder, and the competition will assuredly be maintained at the operative's expense. It is idle to expect that, as a general rule, traders will take less than the ordinary rate of profit. Hence, he who underbids will usually be found to underpay. This indeed is almost a necessity of the system, and one which the parochial functionaries, more than all others, should be guarded against, seeing that a decrease of the operative's wages can but be attended with an increase of the very paupers, and consequently of the parochial expenses, which they are striving to reduce. A labourer, in order to be self-supporting and avoid becoming a burden on the parish, requires something more than bare subsistence money in remuneration for his labour, and yet this is generally the mode by which we test the sufficiency of wages. A man can live very comfortably upon that, is the exclamation of those who have seldom thought upon what constitutes the minimum of self-support in this country. A man's wages, to prevent pauperism, should include, besides present subsistence, what Dr. Chalmers has called his secondaries, namely a sufficiency to pay for his maintenance, first during the slack season, second when out of employment, third when ill, fourth when old. Note, these items wages must include to prevent pauperism, even with providence, but this is only on the supposition that the labourer is unmarried. If married, however, and having a family, then his wages should include, moreover, the keep of at least three extra persons, as well as the education of the children. If not, one of two results is self-evident. Either the wife must toil, to the neglect of her young ones, and they must be allowed to run about and pick their morals and education, as I have before said, out of the gutter, or else the whole family must be transferred to the care of the parish. End note. If insufficient to do this, it is evident that the man at such times must seek parochial relief, and it is by the reduction of wages down to bare subsistence that the cheap employers of the present day shift the burden of supporting their labourers when unemployed onto the parish, thus virtually perpetuating the allowance system or relief in aid of wages under the old poor law. Formerly, the mode of hiring labourers was by the year so that the employer was bound to maintain the men when unemployed. But now journey work, or hiring by the day, prevails, and the labourers being paid, and that mere subsistence money, only when wanted, are necessitated to become either paupers or thieves, 
when their services are no longer required. It is, moreover, this change from yearly to daily hirings, and the consequent discarding of men when no longer required, that has partly caused the immense mass of surplus labourers, who are continually vagabondizing through the country, begging or stealing as they go, men for whom there is but some two or three weeks' work, harvesting, hop-picking and the like, throughout the year. That there is, however, a large system of jobbing pursued by the contractors for the house-dust and cleansing of the streets, there cannot be the least doubt. The minute I have cited at page 210 gives us a slight insight into the system of combination existing among the employers, and the extraordinary fluctuations in the prices obtained by the contractors would lead to the notion that the business was more a system of gambling than trade. The following returns have been procured by Mr. Cochrane within the last few days. Average yearly cost of cleansing the whole of the public ways within the City of London, including the removal of dust, ashes and so on from the houses of the inhabitants, for eight years, terminating at Michaelmas in the year 1850, £4,643. Square yards of carriageway estimated at 430,000. Square yards of footway estimated at 300,000. A more specific and later return is as follows. 1845. Received for dust, zero. Paid for cleansing and so on, £2,833, two shillings. Streets not cleansed daily. 1846. Received for dust, £1,354, five shillings. Paid for cleansing and so on, £6,034, six shillings. Streets cleansed daily. 1847. Received for dust, £4,455, five shillings. Paid for cleansing and so on, £8,014, two shillings. Streets cleansed daily. 1848. Received for dust, £1,328, 15 shillings. Paid for cleansing and so on, £7,226, 1 shilling and sixpence. Streets cleansed daily. 1849. Received for dust, zero. Paid for cleansing and so on, £7,486, 11 shillings and sixpence. Streets cleansed daily. 1850. Received for dust, zero. Paid for cleansing and so on, £6,779, 16 shillings, streets cleansed daily. From the above return, says Mr Cochrane, it may be inferred that the annual sums paid for cleansing in each year of 1844 and 1843 did not exceed £2,281, as this would make up the eight years average calculation of £4,643. Since the streets have been cleansed daily, it will be seen that the average has been £7,188. The smallest amount in 1846 was £6,034, and the largest in 1847, £8,014, which was a sudden increase of £1,980. Here then we perceive an immediate increase in the price paid for scavenging between 1846 and 1847, of nearly 33%, and since the wages of the workmen were not proportionately increased in the latter year by the employers, it follows that the profits of the contractors must have been augmented to that enormous extent.
the only effectual mode of preventing this system of jobbing being persevered in, at the expense of the workmen, is by the insertion of a clause in each parish contract, similar to that introduced by the commissioners of sewers, that at least a fair living rate of wages shall be paid by each contractor to the men employed by him. This may be an interference with the freedom of labour, according to the economist's cant language, but at least it is a restriction of the tyranny of capital, for free labour means, when literally translated, the unrestricted use of capital, which is, especially when the moral standard of trade is not of the highest character, perhaps the greatest evil with which a state can be afflicted. Let me now speak of the scurf labourers. The moral and social characteristics of the working scavengers who labour for a lower rate of hire do not materially differ from those of the better paid and more regularly employed body, unless perhaps in this respect that there are among them a greater proportion of the casuals, or of men reared to the pursuit of other callings, and driven by want, misfortune, or misconduct, to sweep the streets. And not only that, but to regard the leave to toil in such a capacity a boon. These constitute, as it were, the cheap labourers of this trade. Among the parties concerned in the lower-price scavenging are the usual criminations. The parish authorities will not put up any longer with the extortions of the contractors. The contractors cannot put up any longer with the stinginess of the parishes. The working scavengers, upon whose shoulders the burden falls the heaviest, as it does in all depreciated tradings, grumble at both. I cannot aver, however, that I found among the men that bitter hatred of their masters, which I found actuating the mass of operative tailors, shoemakers, dressmakers, and so on, toward the slop capitalists who employed them. I have pointed out in what the scurf treatment of the labourers was chiefly manifested, in extra work for inferior pay, in doing eight or nine days' work in six, and in being paid for only six days' labour, and not always at the ordinary rate, even for the lighter toil, not two shillings eightpence, but two shillings sixpence, or even two shillings fourpence a day. To the wealthy, this twopence or fourpence a day may seem but a trifling matter, but I heard a working scavenger, formerly a house-painter, put it in a strong light. That threepence or fourpence a day, sir, is a poor family's rent. The rent, I may observe, as a result of my inquiries among the more decent classes of labourers, is often the primary consideration. You see, sir, we must have a roof over our heads. A scavenger working for a scarf-master gave me the following account. He was a middle-aged man, decently dressed, for when I saw him he was in his Sunday clothes, and was quiet in his tones even when he spoke bitterly. My father, he said, was once in business as a butcher, but he failed, and was afterwards a journeyman butcher, but very much respected, I know, and I used to job and help him. Oh, dear, yes, I can read and write, but I have very seldom to write, only I think one never forgets it. It's like learning to swim that way. And I read sometimes at coffee shops. My father died rather sudden, and me and a brother had to look out. My brother was older than me, he was twenty or twenty-one then, and he went for a soldier, I believe to some of the Ingies, but I've never heard of him since. I got a place in a knacker's yard, but I didn't like it at all, it was so confining, and should have hooked it, only I left it honourable. I can't call to mind how long that's back, perhaps sixteen or eighteen years, 
but I know there was some stir at the time about having the streets and yards cleaner. A man called and had some talk with the governor, and says he, says the governor, says he, if you want a handy lad with his besom, and he's good for nothing else, but that was his gammon, here's your man. So I was engaged as a young sweeper at ten shillings a week. I worked in Hackney, but I heard so much about railways that I saved my money up to ten shillings and popped, note, pledged, end note, a suit of mourning I'd got after my father's death for twenty-two shillings, and got to York both on foot and with lifts. I soon got work on a rail. There was great call for rails then, but I don't know how long it's since, and I was a navvy for six or seven years or better. Then I came back to London. I don't know just what made me come back, but I was restless, and I thought I could get work as easy in London as in the country, but I couldn't. I brought twenty-one gold sovereigns with me to London, twisted in my fob for safeness in a wash-leather bag. They didn't last so long as they ought to. I didn't care for drinking, only when I was in company, but I was a little too gay. One night I spent over twelve shillings in St. Helena Gardens at Rotherith, and that sort of thing soon makes money show taper. I got some work with a rubbish carter, a regular scurf. I made only about eight shillings a week under him, for he didn't want me this half day or that whole day. And if I said anything, he told me I might go and be damned. He could get plenty such, and I knew he could. I got on then with a gangsman I knew, at street sweeping. I had fifteen shillings a week, but not regular work, and when the work weren't regular, I had two shillings eightpence a day. I then worked under another master for fourteen shillings a week, and was often abused that I wasn't better dressed, for though that their master paid low wages, he was vexed if his men didn't look decent in the streets. I've heard that he said he paid the best of wages when asked about it. I had another job after that at fifteen shillings, and then sixteen shillings a week, with a contractor as at a wharf. But a black nigger slave was never slaved as I was. I've worked all night when it's been very moonlight in loading a barge, and I've worked until three and four in the morning that way, and then me and another man slept an hour or two in a shed as joint as stables, and then must go at it again. Some of these masters is ignorant, and treats men like dirt, but this one was always civil, and made his people be civil. But, Lord, I hadn't a rag left to my back. Everything was worn to bits in such hard work. And then I got the sack. I was on for Mr. Blank next. He's a jolly good un. I was only on for him temporary, but I was told it was for temporary when I went, so I can't complain. I'm out of work this week, but I've had some jobs from a butcher, and I'm going to work again on Monday. I don't know at what wages. The gangsmen said they'd see what I could do. It'll be fifteen shillings, I expect, and overwork if it's sixteen shillings. Yes, I like a pint of beer now and then, and one requires it, but I don't get drunk. I dusted for a fortnight once while a man was ill, and got more beer and tuppences give me than I do in a year now. I twice as much. My mate and me was always very civil, and people has said, There's a good fellow, just sweep together this bit of rubbish in the yard here, and off with it. That was beyond our duty, but we did it. I have very little night work, only for one master. He's a sweep as well. I get two shillings sixpence a job for it. Yes, there's mostly something to drink, but you can't demand nothing. Night work's nothing, sir. No more ain't a knacker's yard. I pay two shillings a week rent, but I'm washed for and found soap as well. My landlady takes in washing, and when her husband, for they're an old couple, has the rheumatics, I make a trifle by carrying out the clothes on a barrow and Mrs. Smith goes with them and sees to the delivery. 
I've my own furniture. Well, I don't know what I spend in my living in a week. I have a bit of meat, or a saveloy or two, or a slice of bacon every day, mostly when I'm at work. I sometimes make my own meals ready in my room. No, I keep no accounts. There'd be very little use or pleasure in doing it when one has so little to count. When I'm past work, I suppose I must go to the workhouse. I sometimes wish I'd gone for a soldier when I was young enough. I shouldn't have minded going abroad. I'd have liked it better than not, for I like to be about. Yes, I like a change. I go to chapel every Sunday night, and have regularly, since Mr. Blank, the butcher, gave me this cast-off suit. I promised him I would when I got the togs. Things would be well enough with me if I'd constant work and fair pay. I don't know what makes wages so low. I suppose it's rich people trying to get all the money they can, and caring nothing for poor men's rights, and poor men sometimes forced to undersell one another, cause half a loaf, you know, sir, is better than no bread at all. A proverb, by the way, which has wrought no little mischief. In conclusion, I may remark that although I was told in the first instance there was subletting in street sweeping, I could not hear of any facts to prove it. I was told indeed by a gentleman who took great interest in parochial matters with a view to reforms in them that such a thing was most improbable, for if a contractor sublet any of his work it would soon become known, and as it would be evident that the work could be accomplished at a lower rate, the contractor would be in a worse position for his next contract. End of section 45